Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So, jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Hello, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to have you on today's episode with me because we are talking with my friend Vic Laranja. Vic is such an interesting guy because he has experience in multiple different fields that don't really seem to connect on the surface, but connect deeply beneath the surface. Vic is a musician first and foremost. That's where I met him or in the context with within I met him, and he's actually a damn good musician and a producer. And over the years, I've seen him blossom into a CEO running a full-fledged media agency with employees and office space and, you know, dozens of clients. And then I saw him transition into the financial game and saw him really level up his understanding of different types of financial markets, including the crypto space. And last week when I was talking to him, he was actually building his own rig. What is that? He was building a mining rig to actually mine crypto and he built it himself. So he's such an interesting guy that I thought, you know what, let's bring him on the show and let's talk about his thoughts around politics of crypto, around the technology of crypto, around the direction of where this is going. Because as you know, the way to learn about this stuff is to have open conversations about it with friends. It doesn't mean that we're experts in everything uh, regarding this stuff. It doesn't mean that we're always right. And I'll always preface this by saying this is not financial advice. But the most important thing to remember is that by opening your mind to this information, you'll become more curious and you'll go on your own learning journey. So I hope that this sparks that realization in you. And of course, if you haven't already checked out where we're housing these podcasts, make sure you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com. It's a really simple site. It's literally just a collection of links. And the first link on this website says articles and podcasts. And that is my new blog, guys. So we're hosting all the podcasts on my new Substack blog, and you can read articles I'm putting out for free on all the stuff related to crypto, psychedelics, psychology, spirituality, personal sovereignty, and we even have a premium membership now, which has behind-the-scenes content, unreleased podcasts, which aren't going to go out on our main platforms, in-depth articles, reviews, and research, and things that are going to help you on your journey for all the things that we find important on this show. So make sure you check out newwaveentrepreneur.com. They also, we also have on the site listings for my upcoming workshops like the new wave workshop which is happening december 17th and 18th that's the next one and that's going to be a deep dive into web 3 which i think you're really going to enjoy and so there's lots of other stuff and resources for you on newwaveentrepreneur.com as well so i hope that you enjoy today's episode with vic i really had a great time and i'll see you on the other side
Welcome back to the podcast, my friends. Uh, you know, I was talking to my friend Vic before the show, and we're like, hey, what do you want to talk about? And, you know, we have uh, a lot of uh, experience working together, been friends for years now, and there's lots of things we could talk about. And I said, well, you know, I was looking at my stats, and it seems like the only thing they give a flying fuck about is crypto. So maybe we should just talk about that. And, uh, and Vic has been doing some interesting things in this space, including building his own rig aka mining machine aka money printing machine aka god's gift to the digital earth uh, and i thought it was really cool and so there's a lot of stuff to talk about today i just want to have you know i want to have a, you know it's only 11 o'clock in the morning here so this is just coffee but i want to have drinks and a chat with my friend vic about the amazing world of web3 blockchain all the new opportunities what's up man good to see you good to see you man thank you for having me on this brand new experience the daniel di piazza new wave experience man i'm excited uh there's lots happening it literally seems like right when you have caught up there is a new stretch of earth that uh sowed of new pro new tokens new you know ideas and it's it's never ending so I think we're going to look back at this conversation in about a year and just be like, oh my goodness, we were talking about NFTs and DAOs, like they were <laughs> these crazy things and they're just going to be so woven into like the fabric of what we do. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited to talk about this. I love talking about this stuff. So yeah, no, me too, man. Thank you for being here. The thing that uh, is the funniest to me is I was talking to another friend before this. And I said, if you went to sleep for six months and woke up and said, what's going on in crypto, it would be a completely different story. You know? For sure. I think six months ago, everyone was still obsessed with like the equities market. And now everyone is like fully obsessed. But I think it really started when Dogecoin did its run. That was like really when people were like, oh, like this meme stock thing transcends the equities market. And it actually plays a part in the crypto market too. Well, I mean, if you think about it, you know, these two markets are, you know, when we're talking about just like the traditional stock market versus the crypto market. I mean, I think that crypto is making its own version of the stock market and it, it is creating, it's creating a new opportunity for people to get in on something that they didn't, that, that in the traditional stock market, they felt like they were locked out of. For sure. It's almost like a bunch of smaller stock markets. Yeah. Small cap. Can just create and uh, create systems and i think that's why a lot of people i feel like a lot of people that are putting up their wall to web3 are kind of becoming the the boomers of the (laughs) 2000s where they were putting up a wall to the internet and and the smartphone totally and i just i do not want to be one of those people well i have to admit for a while like okay so i first got interested i first heard about crypto in 2014 what about you probably 2012 i heard about bitcoin and it just i didn't it didn't register to me it just seemed like i i really didn't look into it but it just didn't register you know the concept yeah about 2014 for me and uh you know and then 2017 when that first wave of crypto really took the market by storm it was still a a a very small number of people but in the entrepreneurship circle anything that's involved with money is going to be at least partially attractive to that space so there's a you know it was a bubble with inside a bubble and um and i had some you know i, I bought some bitcoin bought some ethereum and then i kind of like you know then it, had, it did its traditional crash and it, you can see these cycles go in these waves you know these patterns continue to repeat themselves and i kind of lost faith in it in 2017 i was like ah this isn't you know i don't know if this is going to be a thing or this is too volatile or too risky um you know and I just, you know, I need to use cash. You know, I need to use, I need to, I need, I need the dollar. I wasn't really thinking about what the entire 
system that was being created meant. And it wasn't until really the beginning of last year, once the the pandemic started and, you know, the kind of the world started to turn upside down and started to say, oh, there there could be a need for an alternate form of of exchange. Yeah, for sure. I think that too, that exact same time. I remember I remember um, when the pandemic happened the first week, I was terrified at the thought of a run on the bank because at yeah. that time, I started doing a lot of the uh, Spanish flu and, mm-hmm. you know, back in the 1920s or a little earlier than that, what happened back then, you know, and what eventually ended up happening when the the massive stock market crash happened in 29, run on the banks, but the banks didn't have people's money right. and they couldn't get their funds. Right. So I was really terrified of that happening. And I did a lot of research on the insurance that backs our bank accounts, the uh, FDIC in the States, the CDIC in Canada. And um, one stat that really blew my mind, and I can't remember if the exact number, but okay, so in Canada, we have the CDIC, which it insures $100,000 worth of your money per bank account. They only have $8 billion cash on hand. So if everyone were to or need that insurance of $100,000, they can't pay that out. No. Not the math even. make it make sense. Right. How are you supposed to insure something if you have no insurance on everybody? So that really uh that really spooked me and I I started looking into, you know, where are the better places to keep my money? And really I came to three conclusions. I came to real estate is number 1. Everyone kind of mm-hmm. knows that real estate's here to stay. Number two would be gold. Gold was getting a lot of attention at that point in time. Would be uh, Bitcoin, and this was before like we had Ethereum, we had XRP, we had you had the smaller cap altcoins, but we didn't really have the the traction on these projects. Full marketplace, right? And we have today, it just wasn't it wasn't really there. At least it wasn't it wasn't viewable from my perspective. So um, I bought Bitcoin, I bought XRP, and I bought Ethereum. In about April of 2020, March to April 20, a couple of weeks after the pandemic started, and um, put it on in cold storage because that was like the the way I learned, and I just locked it away. And then it being vision on my end. And then um, remember what you bought Bitcoin then, at uh, eleven thousand. That's pretty good. Yeah, that was, it just hit a pretty American. pretty big low. I think it was like seven thousand at the beginning of 2020. For a while, yeah, it was it was something like it could, it crashed when when crypt, when uh pandemic happened, right? Like yeah, everything yeah. crashed and it rebounded that next couple of weeks, and that was like when I got in and in that little pocket. And um, crazy how it, how it turned out. I thought maybe it would double. You know, I thought I did not I did not buy it as a speculative uh, gain. I did not buy it like that. I bought it as a store of wealth because I saw how much money printing was happening. I was un, I was learning of the banking system and how delicate and broken it already is. It's been broken. I mean, it's not broken. That's the way it's designed. Is it really broken if they designed it like that? I I guess that's true. You know? It's it's flawed. I would say the best way to put it is it's flawed. Fractional banking. You you, you build a killer robot and then you say, oh my God, it's killing people. It's like, yes. (laughs) So it's designed to do, you know? Exactly. Yeah. That's that's what it was designed to do. Fractional banking, by the way, is a concept that when I learned this, I I learned it back in high school, but it didn't really stick until I got older. It it really will blow your mind. I mean, basically, and I think it's the same in Canada in terms of the amount they're allowed to loan out, but the bank can loan out 10 times the amount of money that they have on hand. I think it's actually worse in Canada where 
Canada is one of the most overleveraged countries in the world where I think we only need 5% of deposit amounts to oh, be in the horrible. bank vaults at any point in time. You know? So that means that like, you know, if you're listening right now and you think your money is safe in the bank, um, your money actually isn't even in the bank. No. It, all they have is a, a receipt of it. Once being there, they loaned out 95% of it and they're co- consistently doing that. And that's really what fractional banking is and how messed up it is. Yeah, it's because the more that they loan out, the more that they can make. And it's all, I mean, and let's call it as it is. I mean, if a private person does this, it's a Ponzi scheme. If a government does it, it's fractional reserve banking. There's no, there's really no difference in the logic of it. It's loan out what I don't have, show interest and receipts and money that I don't have in my possession and hope that people don't call my bluff. Isn't that what it is? A deposit in itself is just a contract. All it is is an IOU. A deposit isn't here's my money, hold my money. A deposit is here's my money, write me a contract that says that you're probably going to give it back to me. And they're not actually really that liable to give it back to you, but they just – it works so far, so we trust it and that's what we believe in. Oh, um, yeah. But fractional banking just very much messes with my head. <laughs> well, there's that. And then there's the fact that like it's even further removed because in 71, I'm not sure what year it was in, in Canada, but we went off the gold standard, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like it's money that's being loaned against money that doesn't exist that's tied to nothing. <laughs> money is money literally is. And this is why Bit makes sense or crypto in general makes sense is our fiat currency. What our currency is, is whatever we decide it is. Right. That's really all it is. It's just whatever everybody decides it is at one point in time. And people are like, well, there's nothing backing Bitcoin. It's just you just we just decide that price. And that's what it is for sure. That's 100 percent what the fiat currency is as well. They're the same thing. The only the only difference is that Bitcoin has a limit on how much they're allowed to print. Correct. Twenty one million. Now, has have you seen the world debt clock before? Yeah, I have. Isn't it like just excruciating, like $21 trillion or something crazy like that? How much is it? I'm going to share this on the screen. Let's see. Um, This always makes my skin crawl. Okay. Let me see if I can share this here. Okay. So this is the the world debt clock. And you can see, as usual, America's winning. We love to win. (laughs) We're 28 trillion in debt. Our GDP is only 23 trillion. So, I mean, just a basic accounting here shows that we're underwater. And we don't even end up paying back this debt. We only pay off the interest and we can't even pay off the interest in its entirety. Actually, our bills, our currency debt to the Federal Reserve, it's a debt note is what it is. So you don't, cash doesn't necessarily even exist. It's just a for a debt note, I would say. So like- China's doing quite well. China owns (laughs) the US (laughs) of the US national debt. I know. <laughs> and I know. If China wanted, sorry to say, if China wanted, they could squash the U.S. like a like a bug. Don't apologize to me. They could rug pull you guys. They could easily. They could call yeah. that in. I mean, and it Any used to be that 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 we uh, the the implication was well, we have total supremacy and superiority because of our military, and that's not really the case anymore. You know? No, no, it's we, not. We're not the ultra. You know, transnational power that we and have been in the middle of the pandemic. China was stockpiling tons and tons and tons of physical gold, and I heard the rumor that they were creating their own crypto that was mm-hmm. by physical gold 
bringing back the gold standard. They're trying to take Smart. the they're trying to take the uh, the rain as as being the global currency. That obviously that is China's number one priority to be like the the biggest the biggest producer of everything and and anything in the world. They want to take the the United States uh, spot really. Well, a quick a quick diversion into history here is that you know during World War II, uh, when Europe and the rest of the world was you know going to blows. America actually had a very strategic entry into World War II after Pearl Harbor. And it's basically like entering into, you know, the third or the fourth round of a five round fight pretty fresh. You know, it doesn't mean that we didn't lose a good amount of troops, but Europe had already been fighting for years before we got involved. We got in there. We fucked everyone up. While that whole thing was happening, the rest of Europe was sending their gold to American banks to safeguard it because their countries were at war. So we were stockpiling the world's gold. Ended up, quote, winning the war and coming on top, even though the Allies won, which includes Canada and a lot of the Western European countries, countries in Europe were ravaged and they had to rebuild, including the UK. The United States was basically untouched besides uh, Pearl Harbor, which wasn't really a big deal to us outside of the people that died, obviously, but it wasn't, we didn't get major damage here. So we didn't have to rebuild. We were fresh. And since we had all that gold from Europe, uh, we became the world's biggest holder of what at that point was the store of value in the world. Therefore, because we had that control, the world currency became pegged to the dollar. And we basically took control of global markets because we had control of all that gold. And we just started loaning it out to people and all the world's transactions started being done in dollars. And that's how we were able to print dollars for decades after that and have it be so well-received throughout the world. Now what's happening is the dollar is clearly and obviously slipping as the reserve currency of the world. And I think that we're going to see over the next few decades, 10, 20 years, that uh, that China and in, in the yuan and you know maybe potentially other currencies will be the world's reserve currency. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that the – I guess the premise of currency is just completely flipped where currency was once a thing that – was only retrieved from i guess crossing over the crossing over the threshold crossing over the fence into i'm going to acquire a dollar right. or i'm going to get some gold now a currency in our new world can be swapped for another currency who someone made up someone just created it they created yes. their own supply of liquidity they they named it they created a, an emblem for it i watched a video the other day from a youtuber uh, named Behiza that i really like his content. And he just created, as a joke, a crypto called Fluffy Coin, just to show that you could do it. And then and then by the time the next video came out, his supply that he had, which was about 40% of the supply he created, which was a $3,000 liquidity investment he made, was worth like $1.4 million <laughs> because his audience started buying yeah. the coin. They created a Discord on their own. They created a server of, of developers, a community. Like For no reason, there was no utility behind this coin at all. It was just a yeah. currency that came out of thin air. That's Doge. When, like, it is Doge. It's it's also Shiba. It's majority of these- Don't uh, say Shiba again on this podcast. Uh, well, I mean, it's a thing that, you know, people are putting their money into. I keep seeing it on my I'm Facebook that, Shiba. yeah, but like Shiba is, is like, it's just another one and there's going to be more. Oh, there's going to be more, and of then, course. They're happening right now. We still know more. about them. Exactly. But it, it'd be nice to know about them. It would be nice <laughs> to know. know. Yeah. It would be nice yeah. to know about them. It, you know, and we went through the same thing with Doge when Doge was blowing up. I felt the same way about Doge. I was like, don't say that. Don't say Doge around <laughs> me. Don't say it's that in my house. Want to know about Doge, but now it's 
Shiba, but what's the next one? There's going to be a next one, and there's going to be a next one until until the SEC steps in and all of these what can they do? Dude, they can create laws around buying and selling them, just like drugs. Sure, you know, people but, are still going to do it, but okay. So on, on on central centralized exchanges like Coinbase, which in Canada, you know, it's not as easy to access. There's different rules in the United States. You know, the Coinbase is a publicly traded company, so they can create a lot of laws there. But on on exchanges like MetaMask, where there's no governing body, how do they control that? So this is the thing: is that in a in a majority of places where you have to buy cryptocurrency, you have to put your identity in their system. And that identity is linked to your wallet address. Now, all of your transactions are now public. They have access to that as a company, as a centralized exchange, as, as you said, right? And now every transaction from any wallet you do is is on the ledger. It's public. You can see it. It's not like all this information is really hidden. It's actually the opposite. That's true. It's, it's, out, it's out in the open. So for me, I know multiple different exchanges that I've signed up for. I've had to like take a photo of myself with a piece of paper that says like uh-huh. the date, Same. my name. Dude, guess what? You're locked in, bro. They know who you are and you have a and you have a wallet address that any transaction you made, it's tied to you. So you you might think like, okay, how are they going to control something that's decentralized? But the downside of it is that it's transparent. It is public. That's they true. can control it. They can knock on your door, right? I think that's true. And I think that there are levels of abstraction to this game where the more things become all crypto, the harder it will be to track. For sure. For you know? sure. But the, you know, the justice system can swing its hammer at any point and create some sort of ban like China did and start taking out the the big players. And once the big players fall, people, small players won't want to play anymore. And at that point, players get taken out. The value of these small projects, it's going to go to zero or, or, you know, almost zero if that's how it plays out. If the SEC SEC comes in and they say it's illegal to buy and sell things that are considered securities in the way that you're doing it, this is securities fraud. Like you can go to jail for that, and that's that. That is that is why these altcoin projects like Dogecoin, Shiba, SafeMoon, these small altcoin projects that get rug pulled, like that freaking Squid Game coin. Did you see that? Oh yeah, I saw that. Got totally rug pulled. Yeah, Man, totally rug pulled. If that was an actual equity. In the stock market, that would be massive news. That would be so illegal. Insider trading, securities fraud, people would be going to jail. But because it's in the ecosystem of, of Web3 and of crypto and altcoins, it's like protected by this imaginary barrier of we haven't figured out the definition for it yet. And that's what that's what worries me. I might be wrong about all that, right? But that's what worries me. I think it's similar to like, you know, when Uber came out and they're saying, oh, you're a taxi company. They say, we're not a taxi company. We're we're a technology company. I think right. with these with these coins and these 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 projects, you look at Ethereum, for instance, it's it's real money as far as as far as I can tell. But at the same time, it's there's a, a strong argument that it's a decentralized computer, that it's a network, that it's, you yeah, know, it's- that it's a platform for applications. And it is. So there's going to be a lot of that as well. And, and I think that China will be successful and they so far have been successful with restricting and banning crypto. But I think the United States will have a much harder time, even because like when you look at the states, for instance, different states are 
are fighting back against federal regulations and creating different laws within their state. Miami is becoming a crypto for a city. New York, you know, New York's governor is taking his his mayor mayor is taking his paychecks in crypto. Like, and the states are actually pushing back against federal regulations. And I think certain states are going to become crypto havens. And so there might be some just just like they have with with, with marijuana in this country. You know, certain states are going to be crypto bulls for sure. And you see that with El Salvador, right? Who oh, is yeah. oh, massive yeah. bull. And the interesting thing to to counter what I'm talking about with the SEC, right? The interesting thing about El Salvador is like they're the first domino to fall. They're the first nation to be like, we accept all of this that's going on. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. free to do it. And because one nation crossed that line and put their put their foot in the pool, per se, or, or dove into the pool, really, is what they did. Now, every other nation is going to get FOMO about not doing it. Right. So- That puts a counter argument to everything I was saying about regulating the crypto space is that El Salvador might have saved any of that from actually going down because now the US can't just go and do that. They don't want to be like China. They don't want to be like Russia. They want to be a a free country where you can do things, you can create things. And and, uh, that's why El Salvador, you know, they did something great. But one thing that I want to mention- Can you tell us what they did before- like move on. What what do they do? They bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin, right? Yeah, and it's like actually a They've currency been doing that it. you can use in their in their country to buy and trade now. And they're they're they want to create a crypto city in uh, in El Salvador as well. They want so, to create a Miami. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. I think it's called like I forget what it's called. It might be called Bitcoin City. I don't remember. Don't don't quote me on the El Salvador thing, but um, it's something that I've been paying attention to a little bit. Really interesting though that they crossed the line that needed to be crossed. Someone had to do it. And one nation did it first. And that's awesome. Well, I, th- I think consensus is the huge thing. I mean, I-, I do think that actually over time, regulations in the US will favor crypto because capitalism is a driving force here. And there's so much money in it that that will push people and regulations over the edge. And consensus is huge worldwide. It's like if, if the rest of the world acknowledges Taiwan, then Taiwan's a country. But to China, it's not a country, you know, <laughs> but everyone else trades with Taiwan like a country. You know, this this book was released in in Taiwan and not China, you know? And so I think that consensus will rule. And if other countries are trading in crypto, far be it for America, which is already a slipping power to say, we're not going to do this. But I think it will take some time. I mean, you got people in our Congress who don't even know how Facebook works. They're years behind. For sure. And I think that um, there's definitely truth to what you're saying. How I see it playing out is one-off projects of, I can create a coin in my basement in an hour, just fall YouTube tutorial. I feel like sure. that's the type of stuff that's going to be regulated. Sure. Yeah. You you can't go and get currency like you are an individual. That's that's a play on security fraud. That's how I see it playing out. I could be wrong though, dude. This is just kind of my my prediction. We are going to get right back to the episode, but first I want to tell you two things. Well, one, I'm so grateful that you're here. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to me and to have me share some of my opinions and my thoughts with you. And the second thing is, if you are listening to this episode and you're digging what we are putting down, if you are into the new wave, if you want to learn about how you too can be a part of this new transition in technology, this new transition in economy, and be a part of everything that's happening, I highly encourage you to check out the New Wave Workshop. This is a live workshop I'm hosting via Zoom, December 17th and 18th, with me 
and a bunch of other really smart friends who are going to break down everything you need to know about blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, Web3, the metaverse, and everything in between. This is a fantastic primer that will allow you to understand what's going on so that you can participate in this transition rather than just sitting back and being a consumer. This is your opportunity to really understand what's happening so that you too can take advantage of this time, so that you can learn to invest, so that you can understand where the scams are and avoid them, and so that you can come out on top. This is a great opportunity for you to be part of the new wave. So if you want to learn more about this workshop and how you can get involved, you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash workshop. That's where all the info will be. And of course, we'll put this in the show notes as well. So thank you for listening. And now back to the episode. backstep on something you said about you know ethereum because this is this plays into the whole mining thing that uh you wanted to talk about as well yeah. and uh you know just like over the just to give some context over the last couple of weeks i built a, a little mining rig nothing crazy just five graphics cards uh rtx graphics cards and i'm running at about 82 mega hash a second right now making like ten dollars a day it's nothing crazy like people are doing some much much crazier things i'm in no way shape or form a mining expert at all uh, it was more of a learning experience i like the project something that i learned that was really interesting to me about um bitcoin about ethereum and these work-based uh coins is that majority of the mining that happens in bitcoin and ethereum is actually done through pools so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these aren't actually individual miners no they're massive pools of miners combined farms and the bitcoin network farms but spread across you know all you know hundreds of thousands of different computers pooling their energy together and then they all share the reward what i found super interesting i read a stat somewhere that 80 percent of the bitcoin network is made up of five different pools so we might think this is super decentralized but those five pools act like one node or one miner to the bitcoin network and then that 20 percent is most of the smaller pools most of the individual individual uh miners i just thought that was are those pools in china no i'm in a pool like the pools are just a way of you guaranteeing that your mining is effective. Because if I were to go in on the Ethereum network and mine by myself as a solo miner, as a solo mining node, I guess, I might never hit an Ethereum uh, reward. I might never do it. My computer's not powerful enough to go in and actually solve the block. So what I do is I join a pool, which is essentially a kind of a group or like a little a little company mind you and i join this little group or company and i contribute my mega hash per second to their collection of mega hash per second from all the different computers that are on it which creates a giga hash per second that giga hash per second is now what goes to the ethereum network and that is working for the reward at least this is how i understand it so there's only a dozen at most really popular pools that people go into because the management is trustworthy the fees are low it's well run it's a you know a really proper operation going on but we're actually contributing to like a centralized source that then goes into the decentralized network as like a team right and that 
that reduces the amount of decentralization, especially when you get into proof of stake. Now, I guess you wouldn't mind in proof of stake, but another thing that I learned uh, over the week is this 51% attack in proof of stake, where if you own 51% of the network, like you can do whatever you want essentially, but that's a whole different, a whole different story. So just some learnings for, from my, my experience building my mining rig so far. Okay. I have a bunch of questions to ask. The first thing I want to, um, I'll leave as a comment. Uh, one thing I've been also learning about just, just generally speaking, the mining process, you know, is talking specifically of Bitcoin. So, okay. Just, just to briefly explain, explain this, explain <laughs> to explain this proof of work is basically the equivalent of mining physically for gold you're doing physical work you're going into the ground you're digging in there there's pickaxes and shovels it takes sweat equity to be able to pull this from the ground and when you do that work you're rewarded with the gold you know the digital version of that proof of work for bitcoin for instance is a computer solving a complex algorithm which is basically solving a block when that block is solved this block is part of the blockchain when that block is solved the miner or the group of miners is rewarded with a certain number of Bitcoin. Uh, and and from, from what I understand, there's a halving on the number of Bitcoin rewarded per block every four years. So right now, for solving a block, you know, and I don't know how many people would be in a pool, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of computers would be probably tens of thousands of computers yeah. in a block or in a pool. Yeah. You know, right now when a block is solved, I think the the pool gets, you know, 6.2 Bitcoin, something like that. That's the reward for solving a block. Every four years, that number is halved. So in 2024, which is the next halving, only three and, a, three and change Bitcoin will be rewarded for solving a block. Now, if you zoom out and look at this, there's 21 million Bitcoin on you know, total available supply, 19 are in circulation right now. And so if you do the math, by like 2040, I think it is, all the Bitcoin will be mined because every four years, less Bitcoin is available for mining the blocks. More computers are contributing to it. Now, this is proof of work stuff. What's the difference between proof of work and proof of stake? Do you, do you understand it? Do you, do you, I, I understand generally, but I'm not that smart at it. Okay, so proof of work is what you said. You have a computer and that computer has to do an equation and it needs to be the equation that solves for the block. And if you can do that, you win the reward. That's why people pool together. They, they pool their resources together so they have a higher chance of winning the block. The right. problem with proof of work is it's extremely resource intensive and it's kind of a muscle competition, meaning you have a computer and the better the computer, the more spend on that computer and the better it is the more chance you have of winning the block so it's really if you're stronger you're better it's also very resource intensive obviously on electricity because the more computer components you're running the more power you're needing to run with the more expensive it is the worse it is for the environment so those are the the problems with proof of work now proof of stake is different in a sense of instead of you putting up your computer resources, you are actually putting up your tokens in exchange for a chance to go ahead and solve for the block. So instead of me going and taking $1,000 and building, let's say 1000 and building a computer to mine, I would in, instead take that $1,000 and let's just say the entry fee for that specific proof of stake crypto is $1,000. I could go ahead and take that $1,000 and build what's called a node. So in, in proof of stake, you build a node and that $1,000 now is the amount of money that you have locked in to 
this protocol. And once the money is locked into the protocol, it needs to stay there. Um, and there's different rules across different cryptos, but it needs to stay there for a prolonged period of time in order to validate. So the way that you would win a block is actually through diff three different three different variables through proof of stake. First off is the amount of money that you so the more money you stake, the more your chances are of winning the block. The second are second second is um, how long the, those coins have been staked for. So the age of the coins is the second variable for winning the chance to um, validate the block. And then the third is a randomization element. So it's not just who has the most money, who's been the longest that's going to win, the new guys actually have a chance of winning. But you can build a node with any computer. It doesn't need to yeah. be some crazy supercomputer, but it does have to be a dedicated system that's ready to solve for the block. So therefore, you don't have to and have crazy power to solve. All you have to do is have a system that meets the system requirements to solve, and then you enter this lottery with your tokens. And if you win, then you get you get your reward, which is uh, your staking percentage. So where it gets a little more, I guess, complicated is there's, you know, between different cryptos, there's a certain amount of crypto you have to stake in order to enter the, the staking protocol. And then there's also like the, the whole pool thing about with mining that also happens with staking because for example for ethereum in order to stake ethereum you have to stake 32 eth minimum yeah, which is like 150k like, right 150k to to be able to stake and if you stake ethereum you can't take that money out or ever or touch it at all until eth2 happens next year so that's the only way that you can pull it out and it doesn't really matter with like what crypto there is. There is that penalty there of taking out your crypto, which is called slashing. So if I take out my staked crypto too early, they're going to slash my reward and they're going to slash my principal that I was staking as a as a penalty. And also it's going to take me a few days to get my reward back because they need to make sure that I didn't push any fraudulent transactions in the validation process and, and uh, they'll slash you for that as well. I hope that's kind of a, a clear, I guess, difference between mining and proof of uh, stake for you. I think it deserves a round of applause. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. As, as only a university professor, which you are, could could contribute thanks <laughs> yeah yes sure. that's a that's a great explanation of proof of stake it really helps me to understand and yeah i mean the whole thing with eth is like no individual i mean that's not that's not actually not true but most individuals aren't going to have 32 eth to stake right they're going to have to have now now if you look at these other cryptos you know uh polka solana avalanche you can stake those as well and um yeah. what i think is so crazy about staking is you know, the rates of return of some of these these projects. You know, I was looking at some of these different staking protocols and seeing that, man, you can get 700, 1,000 plus percent return on some of these. And uh, when you look at traditional stuff like the bank and you realize that a savings account is actually losing money because it's giving you 0.15% interest, but then inflation is at a minimum 6%. It's probably higher than 6%. They're probably only reporting six. Um, yeah. You're losing 5% a year or more. And so these obviously look incredible. And then I think to myself, isn't this also a version of a Ponzi scheme? Like how long can these staking <laughs> rewards let, you know what I'm saying? How long I, can, the, how can this really be true? <laughs> you took the you words know? right out of my mouth because there's one project that I, I texted you about. It's called Olympus Dow. And I know Olympus Dow. Yeah. Yeah. Right now it's like eight, 8,000% 8, APY. Does it make sense? Well, okay. So this is how Olympus Dow works. And it, this, 
This is literally how a Ponzi scheme works. So this is how Olympus Dow works. Olympus Dow has its own treasury. And I might I might be a little, like I'm still trying to wrap my head around it right now because it's very like economically complicated, but don't shun me if I smudge a detail here. This is how it works. Olympus Dow has a treasury where they are able to create their own ohm. And ohm is pegged to the, the value of a die. A die is a USD token. So it's pegged to $1 no matter what happens. Minimum, a dollar. The, the is going to go up because of the APY promise. People are going to want ohm. So as the market rate for ohm raises, Olympus as a treasury is still able to mint ohm at $1 always. So let's say that Ohm is worth a thousand dollars. Hold on, let me back it up. Ohm is pegged to a die. Die is pegged to a dollar. Correct. Okay. Sure. Okay. So ohm ohm is ohm is pegged to die at at the floor. Never go under a dollar because that's right. what it's minted at. Only the treasury of Olympus or Ohm or Olympus Dow can mint these tokens at a dollar. Which one's the token? Ohm or die? Ohm is Ohm is the Olympus token. Die is a USD. That is is a tether that's completely something else. Got it, like USDC or something. Yes. So they just use Dai as a as a peg. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I, okay. I got okay. two separate projects. Got it. Right. Exactly. They just they just like okay, we're gonna peg to Dai no matter what. It costs got them it. one Dai to create an ohm. That's the treasury. Think of them like the Federal Reserve of Olympus Dow. They can got create it. money. Okay, but it costs them one Dai to do it. So when they create an ohm, immediately they paid one Dai. But that ohm on the market is worth $1,000. So they just profited $999 just by minting that that die, okay? So they go and they sell bonds. Now, a bond is an (laughs) ohm, but sold for about 5% lower than market price. However, the the downside of buying one of these is it takes about five days for this entire ohm to be fed to you. So let's say I am the Federal Reserve of Olympus Dow and- the price of ohm is $1,000. And I say, hey, Daniel, I just printed a new ohm, but I'm going to sell it to you for $950. Do you want it? And you're like, sure. Yeah, I'm saving 50 And I'm like, okay, well, it's going to take you five days to like whatever. That's fine. So you get the ohm. I have now made the Federal Reserve $900. I take that profit and then I pay out all my stakeholders that are expecting this 8,000% APY. And the mathematics behind all that is what determines the APY. So as you can see, Ponzi scheme, because I rely on someone new coming in and buying my token right. in order to generate profit that I pay to the people who are already invested in it. I can't pay those people without new income, and I can only create new income by creating a new investment. But when I create a new investment, I add you to the pool of people I need to pay. And that's what a Ponzi scheme yeah. is. I mean- I'll just say this. Whenever I watch uh, stuff on like dirty money or American Greed on Ponzi schemes, I love the concept. I think it's great. It just never works full. T- it just never works the whole time. It just it, it always dies. Even yeah. Even the guys who are really good at it can only go for like 20 years max. You and know, there's probably like and from what I understand, they know this. The community knows know. all this stuff. But there's um, there's like uh, a lot of different mathematical elements that support and help this fact. And they know that over over time, the APY is going to reduce and reduce and reduce the price of ohm is going to keep going up i just don't really fully wrap my head around the sustainability of it it's a beautiful concept though to get eight thousand percent annual on your money i mean that's awesome (laughs) yeah i mean 
and this is kind of where like you know we're still in the wild wild west of crypto right now where these things is, are yeah. possible and i think in 10 years time that won't be possible uh, and that's that's what i was saying about regulation yeah 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 whether it's you know some kid cooking up his own coin in the basement even if you just look at like nfts for instance you know and i i'm a fan of nfts a big fan of nfts uh i also think that um the current bubble of nft art is just out of bubble and oh, yeah. that nfts as a technology are going to have uh widespread use cases because of the fact that they are representative of assets in the digital space. And, yep. you know, Chris Dixon said this best. He's like, you know, if web one is read only, web two is read write, web three is read write own, then we want to be able to own assets. Owning an NFT represents something physical, just like you can have parcels of real estate chopped up and turned into NFTs. That's all great technology. We're going to have NFTs on our phone and not even think about them anymore. It's going to be part of our tech stack. Yep. But the NFT art bubble, that that, you know, how long is a board ape gonna? I could, and maybe board ape and mutant ape will continue to have value because they're like OG original pieces. But everything else under that, it's really hard to say long term that's gonna have any meaning. So you know? the way that I like to think about it is, you got to ask yourself: Are you a materialistic person? If you're not a materialistic person, then owning an NFT shouldn't really have any meaning to you. It's like owning a painting. That's it's yes. the same thing. You own yes. one of one right yes so if owning a painting doesn't doesn't fulfill any desires for you then neither should owning an nft when all the smoke clears if you're not materialistic unless an nft has utility then owning an nft probably isn't the best investment for you you might feel like you need to because everyone's making gains or you got fomo but if you're not a materialistic person and you don't care about having stuff then having stuff in the metaverse won't feel any different than having stuff in real life. Now, that being said, I think when we talk about how NFTs are used in the creative space, especially mm -hmm. for creators, I think there's a huge benefit there. Because if you look at, let's say, for instance, um, you know, when, when artists go on tour, they make most of their money from, from shows and merch, right? Yeah. And NFTs are a great way of selling their product in a way that is not only way faster and way more transmissible, but also will continue to pay them in royalties that cuts out the middleman of, you know, of, of a producer or of a, of a studio, um, of all, all these executives that are taking 98% of their money. And it creates ownership from a fan base that make them Absolutely. feel like they have real ownership in someone's career. So for instance, if I buy Rihanna's NFT and Rihanna's celebrity is rising my nft is theoretically gaining value because she's gaining social value and that's something that's yeah. a new concept that is a dream of mine of the path market for artists i remember yeah. thinking uh when i was used to listen to drake a lot like in 2010 i was obsessed with drake before you know he was really that big at all and uh or he was like crazy world famous like he is you know the goat, how people say um and i was like man if i could buy a stock in drake right now i would you know and you could I still would. That didn't exist. I still would. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's what but, NFTs are. It, it, yes, exactly. Another NFT project that's really epic that I really um, am going to be getting into once I, because my mining rig is literally just to put funds in my wallet consistently. That's all it is for. Yeah. Uh, the way I see it, I'm converting electricity to crypto. By, by the way, did you uh, did you look on YouTube yeah. how to do that? Did you start to research that on YouTube? Is that what you did? I researched that on YouTube, but I actually had a friend from high Jesse who who has three rigs, who's built them, and he's like crazy knowledgeable about it. And I he he was a, a huge help for me. I would have never been able to build them this the way that I did uh, if I didn't have his his guidance. So 
Shout out Jesse if you're listening. Shout out to Jesse. Um, Jesse is my Joe. He's the one that helped me grow my mushrooms. So, the nice. same guy, different products. Joe sent me all my stuff. He's like, do this, do this. He made little videos for me. Water him like this. I'm like, okay, thanks, Joe. That's like, yeah. Jesse was on Messenger last night overclocking my GPUs with me. <laughs> Real friends. But, yeah, seriously. So uh, that I couldn't have done it without him. And um, I learned a lot through just you know, his, his knowledge, passing all that on. Um, but the one project that I wanted to talk about was uh, called Audius and Audius is a music industry uh, platform that is going to kill Spotify. So Spotify, um, the downside of Spotify for artists, obviously is they get paid dirt. <laughs> it's uh, insulting. A million streams. It's so a million streams right now. You make about $4,000, which is ridiculous like that that's so 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 bad so disrespectful because it is and it's because spotify takes a fat chunk they take majority of it it's their platform but what audius does is audius puts audio token in your wallet as the listener and as you listen to artists on the Audius platform, you transfer audio token directly to the artist with no middleman at all. And it's actually created by some like MIT like geniuses who were like super early Bitcoin adapter, Bitcoin billionaires. I think it's going to be, it's going to destroy Spotify a hundred percent. Really interesting project to look into. If it's not that, it's another one like that is what I think is the take. Like that concept is, I think, uh, where the industry is going and should be going. Because, you know, I I think with Web2, one of the things that we didn't really realize until we were already in it is that if it's free, you are the product. And that includes for artists to upload their stuff on Spotify. It's so easy to distribute your stuff, but you're basically giving so much IP to these these platforms. Even if you still own your IP, the distribution is really what is what you're you're paying with. And um, yeah. you know, I think there's a huge market for you know really expanding Kevin Kelly's original idea of a thousand true fans. This is something he wrote in Wired magazine 20 years ago about you know an artist should be able to support themselves fully and well on a thousand people who really fuck with them, who buy their stuff, who go to their shows, and crypto as a market but in gen- but in specifically nfts uh, maybe we'll even see some artists start up DAOs, you know as communities which would be crazy you know um shit doja coin doja cat doja coin doja cat um <laughs> launched an nft on on one of which is an nft platform and i think it sold for like you know almost 200 grand you know so these artists really are um they're taking back true control over over this and it's going to be a few years before we see how that shakes out i think like if you're an artist right now you need to be in the nft space because there's this almost magnifying phenomena of people just wanting to listen to your music because you have an nft of it yeah and i've seen some artists who have like 250 monthly listeners i saw this one project nft artists 250 monthly listeners on spotify made a quarter of a million dollars off of his NFT album launch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How do you do that? He only Mm -hmm. had 200 buyers. How do you do that? It's crazy to me. So it's, it's it's the wild, wild west right now. And I'm like, I want to go all in. Like, I don't, I I just want to work in it. I want to be in it. I want to be a part of it as, as much as I can. And I, I am, the most fearful of just falling behind on what's happening because once you fall behind, it's like a, it's like a slippery slope. It's discouraging to get back in hard because there's so much to catch up on i mean i i I got frustrated over the summer like and i put it down for like a month because i was just like 
pissed off at crypto. I'm like, I fucking hate it because it's so, it's so to real to really. And I talked about this on a few uh, different shows now, like to really get good at this stuff and to understand it, you kind of have to be in it all the time. It's really hard to just treat it as a side hobby because it moves so fast. And if you're, if you understand that this is a, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity of this generation, you feel like you can't afford to sleep on it. If you really know what's happening here, you know, um, the stock market existed before this did, but a lot of people felt priced out of it. They felt they didn't have access to it. Now they're rebuilding this. And, you know, the projects that are starting now are moving at, you know, 100,000 X logarithmic rate compared to, you know, even how fast the stock market moved in comparison to the internet boom. You know, if you would have put in, put this on my story, you know, a few days ago, $1,000 into Amazon in 97 when it dropped, they've had three stock splits since 97. And that, that 1,000 would be like 350 shares and it'd be worth like 1.2 million now, which is great gains, you know, for a thousand dollars. But even yeah. that pales in the comparison to you just investing in SHIB coin last year. You know, <laughs> this is what kept me up at night. You know, if you would have put a thousand dollars in SHIB coin in August, 2020, it'd be worth 217 million now. You know, yeah, but the problem with that though, Daniel, is the liquidity isn't there to get your money out. I know, out. I know, I know. But so it's the concept, I, I know. It's the con it's the concept of you have like, but do you really have it if you can't get it? Even if you pulled out five million, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Does, you know, it, it's not only the amount, but also the time frame. Amazon took 30 years to get to a million from a thousand. Yeah. Now, shitcoin takes a year to e even if you would have put your a thousand dollars in Solana at the beginning of the year, which is like a much more legitimate oh, yeah. project, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it was under a dollar. Like 250 grand or something. Yeah, maybe more, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, so, and, and these projects are popping up all the time. And the only way you know about them is by being deeply involved in this, by having conversations like we're having, by listening yeah. to this. Because every time I have a conversation, I pick up a little bit. Oh, oh, Vic said this. Let me look at, let me look at Olympus Die. And then yeah. even if I don't get Olympus Die, I then think, well, what's like that? I start to make connections. Oh, well, this is like that. But you have to be actively involved in it. And it's scary because it, there's technical limitations to some of it where you're like, I don't understand this. Uh, you know, I just want to do what I was doing before. Even we talked last year and you were like, I'm selling all my crypto. This is last year. You know, yeah. you're like, this is yeah. too distracting, you know? <laughs> yeah, I sold uh, a lot of it when the big, like, there was a huge all-time high yeah. that happened. And then there was a big crash and I sold right at the top. It was the day, there was like a little blip and it like dropped like 5% one day. And I was like, fuck this, I'm out. And then it was just like, whoo, all the way down. I was like, man, thank God. And then, it, and then uh, I bought some more at the bottom when it was like a 30,000 ish. And then it came back up and I was like, all right, well. I'm here to say I'm not I'm Never not getting rid faith. of it. I'm not getting rid of it for good, but uh yeah. I, I am I am bull on crypto a hundred percent, but I am just skeptical about the bubble, about the lack of regulation. I look at things like the the dot com bubble and I'm like, bro, history is repeating itself right now. I look at sure. the the nineteen twenty nine bubble, I see that happening in the near future, the the next few years where things just get to a boiling point and then things start tumbling. There's obviously going to be some sort of external factor that that happens for that to happen. But I do think regulation is a part of it. I highly just intuitively, there's no, yes. if you zoom out of the world on a timeline, there's no, like it has to be calmed down, you know? I mean, the regulation is going to happen for sure uh, on some levels. And I think that 
when you yes. look at like the, the the top biggest projects, I think a lot of them will still survive. So I'm betting on the industry, not necessarily the individual projects. Uh, okay, yeah, hundred percent. And because I'm betting on Web three, and I'm, bet, I'm betting on blockchain, and I'm betting on crypto. The individual yeah. projects, I'm not going to bet on. You know, even if and if you look at like you know, this is actually an interesting experiment. What were the top internet companies in 2000? Do you know? Let me let's let's look. That's worth a, a look too, because that's kind of like the best comparison that we can and get see if they're still it, around. Yeah, there were thousands of of right. massive or companies Top. that were just, you know, Internet. websites were just popping up and then getting listed and then exploding. And people lost so much wealth when oh, yeah. um, those bubbles started popping. Let's see. Top, the 20 internet giants that ruled the web, 1998, 2018. Let's see. This is kind of a, let's see what this site says. I want to share it on the screen here. Now, who knows how accurate this is? This is just a, something I, I pulled up in two seconds, but let's look at this. Okay, top 20, can you see this on the screen? Yeah. Top 20 internet giants that rule the world. AOL, Yahoo, they're both here. GeoCities, dead. MSN, this is in 1998. You know, now let's let's look at let's look at uh, Google or let's look at 2003. Because you know, depending on where you think we are, according to the according to the the adoption curve, we're in 97 right now. So technically, we'd be more 1998. So if you look at AOL, Yahoo, the top five: AOL, Yahoo, GeoCities, MSN, Netscape. Two of the five are dead. AOL, Yahoo, and MSN are still billion-dollar companies. Where was Google in that uh, 1998? I'm not sure if they were founded yet. Wow. Uh, Google pops up though in 2003. Now look at 2003. Yahoo, AOL, MSN, eBay, Google. Those are the top five. And then Lycos, which is dead, but Amazon is six. You know, now you have some that are still here. I mean, these are all relatively popular companies. CNET, mm -hmm. Disney, Viacom. You know, these are all still pretty big giants. And they then they just trade places for the next 20 years. Pretty much, yeah. Interesting that uh, Google was number two, even in 2013. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, they, and they trade spots. So, 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 you know, my approach to that is, all right, Bitcoin, Ethereum, what's under Ethereum? Solana, Avalanche, XRP. Algorand, XRP. You can't buy XRP on, on Coinbase right Card now. Cardano. Cardano. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Why are you so salty about Cardano? Because Charles action. Hoskinson is all, is all talk, no do. Come on. Let's go, buddy. It's been slow. And, and, and I was really bullish on Cardano last year. And I'm like, okay, well, other chains are launching and they're making progress. So you guys have to show something. It's not, you have a great vision, but like, you got to come up with a smart contract, Sky. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even behind and, all that. Every time they're in a bull run, Cardano is just doing nothing. You're just like, no, we're in a bull run. You're supposed to, Dogecoin is making money. What are you doing, Cardano? I know, man. It's actually, and he just gets on bad. live and he just talks about stuff. You're just like, dude, I used to have a lot of money in Cardano. I took it out. Good call, probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, it's been between one and two dollars for the past eighteen months. You know. Yeah. Yep. Which it hit a high of like two sixty or something, like two thirty or something like that. Yeah, I was really thinking it was going to be hit hit five to ten this year. You know. I thought it would be honestly. I thought over the next couple of years we'd see like a two hundred dollar Cardano. I thought it would be I where thought. Solana is now. You know. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. But Solana, I mean, faster, more transactions per second more like universally ad adopted the with the phantom wallet um now yep. they have nfts they're just adapting and growing really quick and solana's where it's at i'm going to be transferring everything i mine into solana avalanche too man avalanche is yeah, I, crushing i have some avalanche as well a lot of these crazy DAOs are built on avalanche and um yep. yeah avalanche is a sick opportunity for sure i bought in at, at 70 and then in a month it was at 130 and i was like wow guys <laughs> good job Damn. 
Nice. You know? That's awesome. You know? and, I, and I think it's just the beginning. And if you look to what's interesting too about uh, crypto trends is that they really, they're pretty, uh, I don't want to say predictable, but they you can see the cycles just looking at the charts and yeah. you, you can lay uh, a Ethereum graph on, uh, graph on top of Bitcoin and they have similar similar uh, spikes over time. Then you can dude, lay a Solana crypto, on top dude. of Yeah. Go ahead. Then you can lay a Solana on top of Ethereum and you're like, oh, I see where we are in the cycle now. Dude, if you go, can I share my screen? Is that okay? Yeah, uh, I think you can. Does it work? Can guess do it? This one? Share it. Nice. Sweet. Cool. You can see that? Yep. Sweet. So like on CoinGecko, right? If I go and I pick anything, so like let's go to Avalanche, I can go to the chart and then I can turn off um, Ethereum and Bitcoin or I can turn it back on. So if you look at Bitcoin, like it's pretty much the same damn chart. This is like with every coin, dude. It all follows Bitcoin. Yeah. All of it's always following yeah. Bitcoin. I can go to any coin here. Random this is one. not financial uh, advice. Yeah, yeah, it's not. <laughs> this is a fi- I mean, it's kind of a financial podcast, so that needs to yeah. be baked into your intro. But look at, dude, yeah, yeah. this is just a random coin I pulled, uh, Cosmos, and it's the same damn chart as Bitcoin. Yeah, the line. Just toggling uh, on. Well, the whole market follows Bitcoin, which is oh. – problematic maybe you know dude it is just the 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 answer is just honestly buy bitcoin that's like the answer is have this is not financial advice okay i'm not a financial advisor okay let me say this a majority of the crypto i own by a far a far cry dude is bitcoin and because it's the market mover dude you have to look and this this is this is across any industry doesn't matter just crypto who is the number one in the space? If you just buy the number one in the space, then they're the market mover. They move what happens in that market. So, so you could have these crazy like, you know, 200, 300% growth off of like a, a doge or like a random shit coin. Or you could just put your money in Bitcoin and they're going to dictate when every other coin crashes. And you can at least yes. have that safety of Bitcoin's not going anywhere. I generally agree. I generally agree. Uh, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist, but I am like a... Bitcoin superiorist. Uh, that's not a word, but I, I definitely, I definitely uh, tend to agree. And, and I would also say that Bitcoin has its function as a store of value. There's also uh, protocols for like layer two Bitcoin, which is like called Stacks, where you supposedly can uh, build applications called DApps off of the Bitcoin blockchain network. Um, Bitcoin itself has a, it's pretty slow in terms of how so slow, so slow. quite slow. It's not. Um, it's not something you want to be buying your uh, groceries with. No, no. I'm like four hours up past the store, and it's like it hasn't transferred yet. Um, yeah. So I, I, I do think that um, Ethereum is a pretty safe bet too. It, not right now. Like not in this current state. Not enough transactions. Not a, not enough speed. Gas fees are stupid. You know, I would. But they have, we I haven't would even gotten paying. to stake yet. Right. Yeah, and that's why I said not right now. Yeah. Not in its current state. It, when it gets to proof of stake, when they uh, expand the amount of transactions per second, then potentially. But Solana, yeah, but when it goes to proof like, of stake, the price is going to go going to go up though when they go when they hit proof of stake. Yeah, I think so too. Oh. For sure. So if you don't buy now, you're get you're yes, it's not as good now practically, but the price is lower now than it's going to be in a year probably. But isn't that what we're discussing the practicality of using it in a transaction? Oh, oh yes, yes. Yes, yes. That's that's Fair. what I'm talking about. Like, if I were to go and buy $200 groceries, it actually cost me 250 bucks. That if I bought no, oh yeah, no, 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 yeah, I, I would, I would pay, I would use Avalanche or Phantom or something. Yeah, it, dude, exactly. So uh, that's yeah. kind of like where my head is at. Where Bitcoin is not designed to be like, it, I mean, maybe in its early days, no. it was designed to be a money, 
but more of anything it's designed to be a store of value and it's it's rock solid in the sense that it's not going to go anywhere like it's too well adapted um and it's the it's the market mover which is the key if you really want to see um like like real world uh money speed in you know in practice um and I, I've seen this, you know, a couple times now. Have a have a wire transfer sent to you and a USDC transfer sent on the same day. The USDC will get there in ten minutes, and the wire will take four days, <laughs> business days. Yeah, or or try. Uh, I know XRP is banned, but try running a transaction on XRP. It's freaking instant. It's like it's weird. Boom. Yeah, it's amazing. And I don't know why the SEC is so up uh, Ripple's ass, but we better we better win that lawsuit because if that. If that domino falls at Ripple, that's when shit is going to hit the fan. I really hope so. I really hope so. Well, and you know what actually confuses me too? Like, I don't know how it is with Canadian banks, but in American uh, banks, we have this thing called Zelle, which is just like an instant pay system. And the money is there instantly too. Even to move from, put my money from PayPal onto my, into my bank, I can do instant transfers. So banks can do it. No, it's not. That's not actually what's happening. It's it's not the money moving. They already have like an escrow. They have an credit. escrow pool essentially with that with that service. That's so true. like that's if, true. If you have because they know you you're you need to get your money over, but if it doesn't actually go through, they're gonna pull that money that they gave back, right? It's gonna still take a few days for them to get it, but they're okay with lending you fifteen bucks, even fifteen hundred. They're okay with it. Uh, but you can't send the money unless it's in your account. So like, right. I can't, you know, I have to have they, it there. They have to have proof of funds. They pull that money out of your account, put it in their account and then start moving it. At the same time, they take from their escrow pool on the other end and give that. So it has the illusion of boom, boom, but it's not. It's going to go through, you know, six different back channels through three different countries. And all these fees are going to happen that you're not even aware of until it gets to that location, actually to that F final escrow pool to refill. You just gave out. That's essentially you know like how was interesting. wire transfer works. I... I tested this on PayPal and I, I tested it because I made a mistake and I, then I saw a little loophole, which I guess is kind of what you're talking about. I forget what the exact scenario was, but I made a transfer from my bank account, like like basically moving money from my traditional bank account to PayPal. And you know, normally yeah. it will take a few days for the money to actually be withdrawn from your bank to hit PayPal. But PayPal, if you're making the with if you're, if you're depositing money in your PayPal account, sometimes they'll credit you immediately. They'll, get, they'll put the money in your balance because you made the transfer, but the money hasn't left your bank yeah. account yet. So it's kind of like it's double accounting. It's still in your bank, but PayPal then gives you the credit. So like I made a transfer of, of $50,000 from my bank account to my PayPal. PayPal registered the money and I was able to pay, transfer money from my PayPal that didn't actually have the money to another PayPal and they got the money. So, yeah. but it was still in my my traditional bank account and it hadn't actually left. Yeah, so I would just like, if you're curious about that specific mechanism, it's probably baked into the PayPal user agreement. It's kind of crazy though that, that I'm like, I've gotten the money two PayPal accounts away and it hasn't left my bank yet. Yeah, it's weird. Usually it's you would take the money from your account and then drop it into the other account, at least to have the illusion and and not like the double spending of it. Yeah, I, and, and I think, and, and that's, and if you read the Bitcoin white paper, one of the main things yeah. that they're trying to account for is the double spend. Because mm. that happened. That's that's an industry. Have you have you read the uh, the white paper? I haven't like actually read my white paper, but I've watched a lot of like breakdowns on it. I've never read it yeah. like start to finish. Yeah, I, I read it start to finish one time. I'm like, wow, this is really boring. Yeah, <laughs> you know, not program <laughs> for that type of shit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's super boring, but it is interesting though because it's like a it's like the Magna Carta or the Constitution. Like it's it's a it's a historical document at this point. 
Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Dude, I could talk about this stuff forever. I mean, what should, where do we even direct people to now? Do people do you want people to come see a website of yours or like how how should they catch up with you? At viclaranja.com, you can follow me everywhere. Typically, I'm on TikTok or YouTube more than any, anywhere else. Actually, I'm everywhere every day. That's kind of my new stance. I'm just posting everywhere every single day. Um, That's your but subtitle. Th- everywhere every day. Yeah, sure. <laughs> my subtitle. That's hilarious. Uh, but if you go to viclaranja.com, you can check out anything I've, I've been working on right now. You can basically go to any of my social links. You can even send me a message if you want to do that. Um, and yeah, get in touch however you want. Cool. Well, I'll put you in the. I'll put it all in the show notes uh, so people can click on it from whatever uh, whatever ridiculous platform this is on. This is obviously robbing the artists, uh, but it's distributing it well. So that we're very grateful for. Perfect. Uh, uh, Professor Laranja, thank you so much for your time, sir. Send me a rig, dude. Thank having me, and I suggest you building one. It's a fun experience. I'm going to. I'm going to. You it's should. gonna be right next to my uh, my my mushroom grow. There, and it warms <laughs> uh, it warms my office. Well, that's, uh, I'm sure it's costing you uh, enough to take you a while to break even. Uh, you know, it costs about 3000 to build and it's running about like $1.50 electricity a day, but I make about $10 a day on it. So it's profit. Not bad. And I'm not, bad. I'm not going to just like take those tokens and sit on the Raven coin that I'm, I'm like mining. I'm going to take those tokens and invest them into other projects that I want to make crazy returns on. So yeah. it'll pay itself off. Smart stuff. Yes, sir. Peace. All right. See ya. That is it for today, my friends. I hope you loved listening to this episode with Vic as much as I loved recording it. And if you did love it, please do me the absolute honor of leaving a comment and a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Even one sentence helps us to get the message out there. And of course, if you haven't checked out newwaveentrepreneur.com, what are you waiting for? Guys, I just launched a new blog and it's the very first link on this website. So go to newwaveentrepreneur.com, click on the link that says, articles and podcasts and you'll be taken to our Substack. that is where i'm hosting these podcasts so you can actually stream them from the website and you can check out all the articles that i'm writing including all the stuff on psychedelics and crypto and self-defense and personal sovereignty and mental health and more and what's so cool about that is i'm also developing a whole slew of premium content which is going to include stuff that you can't get on the normal blog channels, including behind the scenes stuff, premium podcasts, and all this other really cool stuff. So check out newwaveentrepreneur.com. On that website, I also have links to our upcoming workshops, like for instance, the New Wave Workshop, which is December 17th and 18th, all about the metaverse, crypto, DeFi. There's an opportunity to join our workshop on the site. And we're doing a merch drop soon, and that will also be on newwaveentrepreneur.com. So you can see we have a movement going, something's happening. This, you know, the mushroom is peeking through the ground. It's going to explode soon. Uh, That's how I see this movement. It's just a mushroom underground that will soon explode. So anyway, that's all I got for you today, guys. Much love and remember, the water is warm, the tide is rising. So jump on in and let's get ready to ride this new wave. Daniel out. Daniel out.